Sometimes waiting for something promised can feel like an eternity. A parent travels for work and makes a promise to a young child. I'll be back in time for the school play, or I'll bring you back a present. The child anxiously waits for the parent's return, watching out of the windows days too early, asking what day it is for the millionth time or how many more hours until that parent gets home. Many parents do their best to keep these promises. Some will, some can't, and some won't. But God is better than a human parent. He keeps his promises without fail. As the book of Joshua begins, we see God poised to begin the fulfillment of a promise he made to Abraham long ago. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, we're beginning a six-part series on the uh, book of Joshua, a very interesting book uh, and a very interesting place in Israel's history where these events take place. In this book of the Bible, we're picking up on something that God has promised years ago. Mm. Like in Genesis, he told Abram in chapter 12, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you descendants and I'm going to give you land. But he only really sees Isaac and a few of his children uh, and his children's children, some grandchildren, but he doesn't see the whole promise come to pass. He doesn't see the land. He doesn't see the full manifestation of his descendants. Exactly. In fact, uh, by the time Genesis ends, actually, Daryl, A, the descendants still aren't a nation by any means, right? We've got Jacob's kids and we got you know Joseph and now he's got some kids. So they're not a mighty nation. But here's the other thing. Abraham, at least, and Sarah eventually made it to Canaan, right, which is the promised land. But by the time um, Genesis ends, they're not even there anymore. Now they're in Egypt because that's where Joseph got sent into slavery by his wicked brothers. So they all go to Egypt. So as Exodus opens, the people are a nation now. In fact, in Exodus 1, for the very first time in the Bible, the descendants of Abraham are called a nation in Hebrew, but they're in slavery. They've grown. There's tens of thousands. Maybe there's 100,000 Israelites by now. So they are big enough to qualify as a nation, big enough to qualify as a threat to Pharaoh. Problem is, they're in Egypt, not in the promised land. So then we see God use the story of the Exodus and Moses and how he delivers them from the oppression of the Egyptian Pharaoh. But they are at the end of that book on the precipice of Mm. going into the land. They send spies into the land to see what's going on there. And that's how Joshua gets tied into the story because he is Moses's aide when he is enlisted to go and look at this promised land. So Moses gets to look into the land by getting some information back, but he doesn't get to go into the land. And so Joshua, he is, as Moses' aide, going to go over. And they have 10 spies. They have 12 spies, actually. 10 gave bad reports and two gave good reports. And Joshua and Caleb were the two that gave the good reports. But they were the two nobody listened to. And so um, we'll think a little bit more about those spies back there, Numbers 13, in the next program in this series. But suffice it to say, they don't get to go into the land. God tells them you got to wait 40 years. Uh, and by the time for those 40 years are over, so is Moses. Moses' time of leadership is over. As you say, Daryl, he doesn't get to go in. But he is going to be succeeded. And we pick that up right here in Joshua 1, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I see these verses. They're very powerful to me because God is promising to be with Joshua in the same way he was with Moses. And you see how God was with Moses, a very powerful thing. He is actually transitioning the people from the slave mentality, slaves to soldiers in this passage. And God will use Joshua as the instrument of salvation to bring the people into the promised land. And I couldn't help but notice, Daryl, as you and I just read this passage from Joshua 1 three times in just about mm, five verses. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Three times. I figure if God has to say it three times, there's probably going to be reasons why he's going to have to be strong (laughs) and courageous because this is not going to be easy. uh, And there will be plenty of times to feel uh, afraid potentially. But God is saying, don't be strong and courageous because I will lead you. So this is Joshua. You know, back in Deuteronomy 18, when Moses was giving his farewell sermon to Israel, there became a key promise that becomes important for the whole Bible where Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, that there will always be a prophet in Israel. So Moses was that prophet for the Exodus era and then the generation of the wilderness wanderings. And now the mantle is passed to Joshua. He is the new prophet. So Moses is gone, but in fulfillment of the promise God made in Deuteronomy 18, there will be another prophet. And of course, as Israel's history goes forward, we'll see lots of prophets, Elijah, Elisha, eventually Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the rest. So Joshua is the new Moses. His name means to save. It's, a, right. it's the Hebrew form of Jesus. Same name that uh, in Matthew 1, name him Jesus, for he will save his people for their sins. And here Joshua is going to save the people and bring them into the land of promise. I think, too, Scott, it's important to know that it's not really about Joshua at all. It's about God mm-hmm. who says, right. hey, I have promises to keep. Joshua. I have made promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I've even made promises to Moses. And you're going to be the instrument in which we fulfill those promises. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I mean, Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything Mm -hmm. in it. So me, you and I, we don't own anything. We just are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So in his sovereignty, he can say that this is going to be their land and this is going to be their land. And these people, if they follow and believe in me, they can also have this promised land that I have given them. And then Like you said earlier, he literally tells Joshua that he needs to not be afraid. Yeah, there's a sense in which, Daryl, in which uh, Joshua's the leader. He's the new Moses, the new prophet. His name foreshadows the name of Jesus. All important things, and yet you made a good point just a second ago, Daryl. 
it's finally not really about Joshua. It's about God, right? And if Joshua is going to be strong and courageous, it's not because Joshua is so strong and courageous. It's not because Joshua is so skilled, though he has skills. God chooses people and uses their gifts. But at the end of the day, if he is going to be successful, it's going to be because of God. If he's going to be strong, it's because God is strong and God is with him. If he's going to be courageous, it's because God is with him, right. not because um, Joshua can muster all the mental, moral, and military energy all on his own. God's going to walk with him, and that's going to be the source of his strength. And coming up next, we're going to talk about what else God has to say to Joshua and to us in this book, so stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. So we are in the first episode of a six-part look at Joshua. And Daryl, we just read the first few verses where God designates Joshua as Moses' successor. Moses is dead. So Joshua is next as a prophet among the people. And we heard the triple call of God to be strong and courageous. Then the story picks up in verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, until they too have taken possession of the land your Lord your God has given them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards sunrise. And so in this passage, Joshua is reminding them of what we read in Numbers 32, where Moses is giving them the provision, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the Manasseh, that he's given them a provision of this land. But the condition was, okay, you're going to have to help us get our land when we get into this battle. And this is the battle that Joshua's preparing them for. Uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of Manasseh, this is with Moses yet. It's long before they've started to conquest right. Uh, Canaan, right? Uh, and they say, hey, Moses, it's nice here. You know, we like it here. We got lots of cattle. We don't want to haul them all across a river. You know, we'd like to build some corrals and some pens. And, you know, can we stay here when, when you know, when we take the rest of Canaan? We just, we like it here. Uh, and Moses is fine, but you got to fight don't for the rest. Yeah, yeah. You, you still have to help your other sisters and brothers in Israel, and you got to fight. Uh, so when the time comes, you'll be able to live here. But in the meanwhile, you have to help uh, the rest of Israel fight. So that's the story in Numbers 32, which we're flashing back to now here. But the point is, uh, one of the larger points here, Daryl, is that God promised the land. God's going to give them the land. But it's not free, or, or at least it's not just going to be handed to them on a silver platter. They're going to have to do some work. God says, 
I promised the land, but there are these giants in it and they have to fight to get it. And uh, it's interesting that God would do it that way because, I mean, if you think about it in our terms today, if we say, God, can you give me a job? We don't just sit at home. We actually go fill out applications. We go online. We do interviews. And we see that through that act of what we say is, okay, we trust God. We pray and we ask him for a job. And we believe he's going to give us one. But when we show that action by actually applying for these jobs and putting some work behind it, the work doesn't earn our righteousness or anything, but it does prove that we believe in a God who's going to do something. Then we see the job happen. And I think that in this situation, the work, if you will, quote unquote, would be that Joshua believes God's going to give him the promised land. Therefore, he will go and fight. That is the belief that credits righteousness to people when they believe that God is able to do something and their actions follow that suit. We call it it's the classic Latin phrase, ora et labora, yes. pray and work. Uh, and that's been a classic posture of God's people all along, that yes, God provides. God is the providential God, but God doesn't just drop things into our laps. Uh, he works through our talents. He yeah. works through our skills. He works through our industry and our effort. So the, the promised land is a promise to them. God is going to help them get it, but they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to do some work, including, again, these Reubenites, Gadites, and Manasseh. In fact, picking back up here in Joshua 1 at verse 16, these uh, two and a half tribes answer Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will fully obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So now these people are echoing God. Yes. Uh, again, be strong and courageous. But interesting, this is a, their a response to Joshua here, Daryl, is proof that Joshua is the continuation of Moses. Moses is yeah. dead, but he is not gone in the sense that God has still got his lead person in Israel, and that is Joshua. And uh, so they say, may God be with you as he was with Moses. If people don't listen to you, they're going to be in trouble, same as they would have been with Moses. So be strong and courageous, and we'll follow you. Another thing is that the Joshua doesn't have to go fight that promised land battle. Uh, all on his own. These right. these brothers are going to go with him and they're going to have the power to fight together as a family. Sometimes we forget that as we fight the good fight of faith in our own walk with Jesus, it's not just me, myself and I in that in that situation. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who can come alongside us to encourage us, to strengthen us, to pray for us and to help fight spiritually speaking, shoulder to shoulder in, in the battles that we may face. But then the other thing is that the echo you mentioned. So as God that was with Moses, may he be with you in the same way, which is what God said to Joshua directly. He also said, uh, be strong and courageous. And it's crazy how sometimes God will echo, quote unquote, what you've been listening to or meditating on or praying about or a sermon you heard. And then in another situation, people who have no connection to that thing will echo what God is saying because the same spirit is using that to encourage and build our faith. It's really powerful. Exactly. Something you mentioned along the way there, Daryl, is so important that Joshua 
can't do it alone and he shouldn't want to try to do it alone. Yeah, he's God's chosen leader, and he, but he's got to take the help, and we do too. You know, I, all of us, well, most of us anyway, but I, probably all of us would rather be a servant than be the one who's served. You know, we, we love bringing meals into people who are sick. We love helping people move into their new house. You know, we do ministry and volunteer work in the church. Ironically, even some of us who are really good at serving others, sometimes we don't like to be served. It's like, oh, no, 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 I don't need you. No, we, we do. We, you know, it's okay. Sometimes servants need to be served when we have our hour of need, right. and we have to accept that graciously, uh, even as Joshua had to accept help from all the people. It's really powerful to see that God is enlisting all of this to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham long ago. And he uses these things like confirmations of words that he has said in his prayer closet with Joshua and Mm. even in the brothers that are going to go to war with him. And God is still doing that today. If we meditate on his word, then we'll hear echoes and we'll hear reminders in our faith. But as we wrap up this episode, we're going to think about the practical applications of this passage. So stay tuned. glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork in this first episode of a six-part series on the book of Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible. And uh, Daryl, this part, as we wrap up this first program in the series, we want to talk frankly and honestly about uh, sort of where this book is in history and some of the issues in the book. Above all, as we've seen, uh, God is a promise keeper. Uh, he made this promise to Abram uh, way back in Genesis 12 uh, that uh, he was going to establish a, a nation and he was going to give them a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And from that nation, that would be sort of God's beachhead for salvation of the whole world. So that's certainly one of the great, big and encouraging things about the book of Joshua. God has a promise to keep. And sometimes the promises of God take longer than we in our human expectations would expect. But it doesn't mean that God has forgotten about it. It doesn't mean that God is sleeping on the case. So, I mean, we serve a God who's really in the crockpots as opposed to microwave instant answers. And we serve a God that we can trust no matter how long it may take. Hopefully we can keep our faith in him. I think the other thing that and I think this we have to address this. Scott, because in the book itself, this book is about conquest, this book is about battle, this book is about war, and God gives instructions that seem to be really strange, take away these things, kill the women, kill the children, take all the things out. And sometimes we've seen in our broken history, people use these as excuses for genocides and ethnic cleansings and things that uh, say, oh yeah, God gave us this land and we go over and we take over and we pillage and we've done this in the wrong motive of greed and pride. And I don't think that's the motive of the book of Joshua. 
No, and the church has been guilty of things like the doctrine of discovery, which was vandalistic of uh, indigenous peoples, Native Americans in the U.S., First Nations people in Canada, manifest destiny. The militarism of Joshua is not a license for the church to be militant. But you're right. Uh, What is sometimes referred to, Daryl, as the ban, the total ban, the total conquest. Don't leave anything. Don't take anything. Kill everybody. Men, woman, child, cow, goat, chicken, everything. That is offensive and a scandal for most of us today. It is very difficult to understand why God would do that. There have been different theories One of my teachers in seminary said, well, you know, we can't underestimate God's judgment on sin. Uh, And the Canaanites had sinful pagan religion, pagan practices, uh, child sacrifice, ritual prostitution. So there's a judgment angle here. Augustine picks that up in the fourth century. Yes, right. That sin and evil are serious. Uh, So there is that part of it. The other thing I think, Daryl, and we already said uh, in the previous part of this program that Joshua and Jesus, those two names both are about salvation. Really, this book in some ways foreshadows Christ and the the total conquest of Canaan, terrible though it is, is a reminder that sin isn't going to go away easily. And even Jesus is going to have to go all the way to the cross. Jesus is going to have to die to make things right. So some of the tough, rough, brutal, even offensive edges of Joshua kind of foreshadow that, that even God's son couldn't just snap his fingers and make sin go away. He had to enter the battle and die. Right, right. And so in the Old Testament, we see God's plan for redeeming concealed, if you will. Mm -hmm. But then in the New Testament, we see God's plan revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because Christ came, he came to give us a new promised land, a new rest. And in Hebrews, it talks about how Christ is the new rest. Mm. And if you look at these verses starting here in chapter four, it says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have fallen have found to be fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share their faith of those who obeyed. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who were formerly had the good news proclaimed to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. You mentioned that earlier, Scott. Yep. God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So here, Daryl, is a New Testament echo of Joshua and of the conquest and saying, you know, the Israelites were imperfect. They didn't go into the land initially because of their rebellion. So they had 40 years of wandering. Even when they did go in, they still didn't go in perfectly. Uh, We'll even get some of those stories here in Joshua. And we certainly know in the subsequent history of Israel for centuries to come, they're going to disobey. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is 
the promised land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, the land of rest for the Israelites wasn't the final rest. It too prefigures, foreshadows, points forward to the ultimate Sabbath rest from all sin and evil that only Jesus would make possible. In verse 8, is so curious. If Joshua had given the rest, God would not have spoken about another day. Mm. And now we see that Jesus Christ himself is the rest. Those who come to him will find eternal rest. So it's not about a geographic location. It's not about these giants, these physical people in this land. Jesus beat the real giants, the sin, the death, and Satan. Those are the real giants. And Jesus Christ beat those giants by dying, and he enters us into the opportunity to have, by faith, a promised land rest in him. All of what's going on in Joshua is a fulfillment of the promises made to Abram already initially way back in Genesis chapter 12, that God is going to give a land to a people, but that that people was not the end of the story. They were uh, the people that were on the way to a blessing of all the nations. And ultimately that never happens for Israel. Uh, It only happens through the new Israel, who is Jesus Christ, who has indeed provided for us the final rest from sin and evil. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening and digging deeply into scripture with Groundwork. We are your hosts, Daryl Delaney and Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study of Joshua by examining chapter two and discussing the story of Rahab and the spies. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit our website, reframeministries.org, for more information. Our recording engineer is Don Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.